It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. You're joining us for another edition of Frontline Friday with my very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you? Andy, I'm great, as usual. No See, complaints. Wow. Not today. What a life, as I usual. Know, great, I know, as I usual. I know, I know. I just, I lead the charmed life. You do. I envy you. I envy you. Every, every week, everything is great. I know. It's all a state of mind. That's the only <laughs> thing we can control is what's in our that's mind. Right. That's right. Mindset. Mindset. That's right. Yeah, no, I agree. So, yeah, I have no complaints really either. I mean... Sort of, we've always got complaints. Sort of aches and pains, but you know. Yeah, 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 whatever. Whatever, right. We're still here. So last time we talked about, in fact, you're hiring for this brand new sales team. And so today we're going to talk about, okay, part of building a new sales team is you're building a new sales process. And I want to talk about sort of, you know, what's that, you know, what are the steps that you're going through to do that? and uh, how you're going to scale that or what your plans are for scaling it. So, so let's just sort of start at the beginning. So how do you start mapping this out? You know, if people are listening, they have to suddenly take on the responsibility, new company, new division, new responsibilities, greenfield. Yeah, where do you start to build your sales process? So just sort of point of clarification, we do, I do have a team in Israel, mm-hmm. a sales team in Israel. So there is... And they've been super successful. So there's a process that's already started. So it's not as if I'm starting from scratch scratch, and just building, just starting from scratch. Having said that, the sales processes are always, uh, I'm always looking at them and I don't want to, I, I don't want to say changing them. But con- consistently trying to iterate and improve, iterate and improve, mm-hmm. iterate and improve. And I would say that's the case here because what I think is fairly typical, we've been selling, the company's been really selling for the past year. We're, we're just seeing our first renewals now is that things are happening, but the process may not be well documented, well understood, or uh in a condition that you'd want to scale what's happening going forward. And I'll kind of give an example of that. Sure. So we get right now, thankfully, most of our leads are inbound. We get a lot of a lot of inbound interest in our product. People signing up for a free trial or just signing up for the product mm-hmm. or like a demo. We get a lot of inbound. So the team that we've had in Tel Aviv has been a great inbound team. Knowing how to quickly identify which ones of these are going to convert soon and which ones aren't. That's great if you can count on your inbound growing as fast as you want your revenue to grow. It's 99% of the time not the case. 
that you, you can't expect it to grow at the same rate. And that's certainly the case here as you start to add salespeople. So part of what we've started in terms of a process is, all right, if that's, if that's not always going to be the case, mm-hmm. how do we think about the skill set that we need of people that can handle both inbound but also do outbound? Um, and, and I think when I think about the steps to identifying or even iterating on the sales process, one of the things I lean on heavily is what is the data telling me? What's the data telling me in terms of leads that we're getting that are converting to, uh, let's say, interest that's converting to a lead, so a marketing qualified lead. And of those marketing qualified leads, how many of those are turning into opportunities? And of the opportunities that we get, how many engage with us in some way in a sales cycle? And then of the ones that engage, how many do we close? And then I start to break it down to see, okay, if that's the case, where are we getting stuck? Do we have enough in- inbound interest? Do we have enough of the interest that actually is able to convert to a lead? Are we able to look and identify and qualify which of those leads uh, um, are opportunities? Are we able then to run an effective process with somebody that's an opportunity and is that process right so that's where it kind of breaks down how does that look is it a discovery call a demo a poc a a pricing discussion and close or is there something within that process that needs to be uh, changed or modified and then kind of what what is the outcome of those do we win them do we lose them do we win a lot do we lose a lot so you kind of break it down it's pretty, it's pretty basic, and in my opinion, there's sort of a, a, a standard set of generic steps, and then you, you, modify, you modify the steps along the way. So, um, so are you finding that, you know, as you're looking forward to building your U.S. team, that, that you know, you talked last week when we were talking about your hiring primarily account exec. So are you seeing a day where, okay, yeah, we're going to have to start being proactive on our outbound, or do you think you're always going to be able to rely on the inbound? Uh, I, I have the team now do outbound. I, I, I do not think we'll always be able to rely on inbound. And part of it is even when the, the bit of data that we have is our inbound feeds a certain uh, sector of the market, primarily the smaller deals, which is great for us. But there's also, a, we get a, occasional interest from bigger companies and we close those. <laughs> we close them. So there's, but those don't come in out, those don't come in through outbound they don't come through outbound that often. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing about learning about outbound is you need to learn how to do outbound within, let's say if it's a big company, how do I learn how to go after other divisions and groups within a bigger company? So I do insist that reps are always doing a certain amount of outbound and we don't just have our hands out saying marketing, feed me, marketing, feed me. And I just, looking at the numbers now, 
and and the growth that we want to achieve, we're going to have to do some outbound. May not be as heavy outbound as I see in other organizations, but we'll definitely always have to do some outbound. Okay, so maybe not building a huge team of SDRs to to feed the hungry account execs. Yeah, and and we're also looking at SDRs to help with the inbound, and and the way that I think about that is we typically collect an email address and that's about it. I mean, we don't collect a lot and that may change, but there's a lot of research that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And that's typically not a great way for an account executive to spend his or her time. No. And so to be able to do the automated tools to do lead enrichment, don't do the level that we need. If you just have a Gmail account, um, so having having account reps, well, I'll probably start with an inbound rep so that uh, we just are more efficient in how we process the inbound that we do get. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the, the mantras, obviously, is always about aligning your sales process to the buying process. Given that you're you know, a relatively new company, not completely new, but relatively new, relatively limited experience in the sale of the product, do you feel like you really have a handle on what your buyer's process is? Uh, yeah, thankfully, I came from a similar space, so I understand this market and the buyer. So I'm not; it, it's not brand new to me, which mm-hmm. is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we this this particular sale often starts at, but not always. It often starts at sort of a, a, a user level, but not, but somebody often that has some level of uh, authority. So it's not just, it's not simply an end user, but it, it could be a manager who's going to be influential. They may even have some buying authority, but as you continue to roll it out, they've got to take it up a level. So we found it to be effective to start, whoever you start with, the first thing you have to do is you've got to bring in other people. You, you've got to bring in other people. And that's like one of the critical steps that needs to be done early on because what we found is if you wait too long, um, you just don't have enough buy-in in the organization. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe I answered that a bit too specifically. We have an okay sense of what the buying process is, and we are trying to better align sort of to how we started this, is how to better align particularly what our new reps are doing in terms of the selling process. Mm -hmm. For example, getting a lot of stakeholders in early because for them, their buying process is going to require that they have the stakeholders in if they're going to get it through procurement. So how much emphasis do you put on defining exit criteria for each stage of your process? It's funny you said that. We just uh, hired a full-time sales operations person, started yesterday. Thank God he couldn't have come a moment too soon. And one of the things that I said is we need to have uh, more defined and stricter exit criteria on the sales process. Mm -hmm. We don't have that as as much as we need to right now. And what were you finding that was saying, hey, this is a need? Uh, what do you mean? Well, in terms of 
you know, what your team was doing, what was not happening that was telling you that, oh gosh, we need to have more gotcha. well-defined exocrit. Gotcha. Um, so for example, let's just take the example of stakeholders, that they would run a sales process all the way through to the end with a single stakeholder who was telling them, yeah, I got, got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And, and I don't think they were lying. I just don't think that they were necessarily aware of their own buying process. Part of our mm-hmm. job as sellers is to help educate and shepherd and be project managers to help them along the way as they are trying to navigate their buying process. Because a lot of times, especially um, on the engineering side, they don't know what the buying process is. Mm -hmm. So we can help by saying, typically, uh, you need to get legal. We're going to need to talk to security. Who would you talk to in procurement? Do you know if there's a budget, budget approval here? And so those things have to be done earlier. And we just found that that deals would run all the way through to the end without some kind of the basic blocking and tackling. And sometimes we'd win the deal, but a lot of times the deal would get stalled, um, really stalled. And time kills all deals, so we can't afford to have them get stalled. Mm-hmm. So a sort of last area I want to delve into, sorry, you got the process going, you're starting to define exit criteria, a lot of fun stuff as you're, you know, in the early stages of a, of a company. So what's your, your take about sales methodology? I mean, some people say, <clears throat> excuse me, some people say that, hey, yeah, we definitely need a sales process. But, you know, the real magic happens when we have a sales methodology. You know, sort of the prescription of what we do in each step of the, in each stage of the deal. Do you have like a defined sales methodology? We don't right now, but I think it's an important, I think it's important to have it. And I I guess the reason I would say that's important to have it may be different, maybe or maybe not different from what you're describing is if everybody is on the sales team is doing about it the same way, doing things the same way, thinking about it the same way, using common terminology, we just learn, we learn from each other and it, it kind of builds. And I'm, I'm a fan of that. I, early on when I was at Xerox, we, for those of you that uh, you may or may not know this, is that we had spin selling really came out of Xerox. And it wasn't the training, the two week training that we would have, you know, every six to eight months that was so amazing but it was what happened back in the office that I could overhear people talking about it. I, 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 could, I could observe what they were doing and how they were understanding the situation, identifying the problem, uh, figuring out what are the implications of that, and then what is the final need there. I could see it in action and see, oh, oh I know where they are. And I think that's where the magic is is that you don't have a bunch of people doing it different ways. You have everybody doing it sort of an observable way. And it doesn't always matter to me what the methodology is uh, around sort of a certain set that fits for mm-hmm. your target mm-hmm. audience. But but you pick a way to do it and you stick with it. So would you say you're, you're implementing a spin methodology? 
Well, I think some of them are similar. I the one that I'm actually thinking about, and it's is Sandler. And the reason is, is because a lot of people here have already been, had Sandler training. And I also know Sandler as well. So that one, there's already a base, there's already a foundation. And I, I may, again, this is still early for us, but it's one of the things that I'm, um, that's high on my agenda is, okay, do we all, do we all sort of uh, just, congregate around this methodology and have this be the way that we think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there are so many different methodologies out there. Um, yeah, how do, you, how, do you, how do you make that choice, you know, when you're trying to say, build an organization? I'm asking, you know, this is a question for you is, you know, how do you, how do you make that choice? Well, you know, Andy, in a, in a previous life, I also taught sales training and I did a lot of going in. I did a lot of acting VP of sales, but I, I specifically did a lot of tra- uh, uh, sales training. And I've studied a lot of the different training methodologies. And I, I think there's sort of a core set of principles and rules that uh, are are common amongst them that I don't get as hung up on the particular methodologies. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I just don't get as hung up on them. Do you, and I'd be curious as to what you think about that. Well, I'm with you. I mean, I sort of pick and choose. Yeah. Right. And I, I, feel this, I feel the same way that I, I, there are certain things I like about each one. So I'm a bit of a pick and chooser as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly agree with the whole idea that, that you should have a common terminology that people understand sort of what people are, are thinking about and talking about, especially as an organization scales. I mean, it, when it's smaller, you know, like a smaller team, if it's never become big, then maybe it's not as big of an issue. But yeah, as you get bigger, yeah, having that sort of common, common sense of what you're trying to achieve is really important. It's super important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, it's it's a hard choice because it's very sort of individual preference, but I don't think there's a huge difference between any of the major ones that are out there. Yeah, I I, I feel the same way. So last last part for you is your build last question is you're building this this team, and we're going to come back and revisit this obviously as we continue our our series of conversations, and for people who are keeping track, I think this is our seventy fourth time we've done this. Wow! Is wow! It really? Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> so. Question about compensation. So, how how big of a factor is that? You know, you, last week we talked about recruiting. Yeah, how big a factor is that in terms of of getting the right people on board and keeping them focused for you at the stage you're at? I think it's a it's a factor. It's not the only factor. In, in fact, on my to do list for today, I have. I'm going to do some more, you know, I'm, I'm, I am not inexperienced in terms of putting together comp plans, but I, I, I still feel always out of my league. They're so hard to, they're so hard to do. It's so hard to put in the right comp plan that takes into consideration both the needs of the company, as well as how do you motivate individuals in a small company, like I would say that our compensation here is is good. It's not, you're not going to come here because you think you're going to make money on your, your, 
you're not going to make the most money. Let's say, and, and I don't even know if that's the case. You, you can make a lot of money here if you do well. But the real thing here is just the opportunity to be part of this great company. People are going to make their money if the mm-hmm. company does well mm-hmm. and what their options end up being worth. So it's interesting. The people who I've hired, you've got to be in the ballpark. You've got to pay them well. But it's not, you don't have to pay them the most. And there are some companies, because of whatever situation they're in, that they get salespeople because they offer the highest amount. I'm not trying to, ha- ha- I'm not trying to have the highest amount, the, the, the most in terms of dollars. But what I commit to the people who I work with is, you're you're going to be what you're going to learn and take away here is going to be as valuable if not more to anything that you're going to get from dollars in your pocket that year mm-hmm. um so i i guess my answer is it's important it's still important i want them to feel good about the comp they get and so i'm always looking at it and yet i also recognize that there's a lot they're going to get from working here that is going to be it's going to pay off more than even the best comp plan that I could put together for them. So I'm going to still work to get the best comp plan, but I know some of the other things that they're getting this early stage, the ability to help grow it, influence what we're doing, be a leader, be part of the early, the team on the ground. There's some of that, but gosh, you just, you're not going to get it a lot of other places. Well, I think part of a, a later conversation we want to have is, is on another episode is, around this idea of compensation and and really how 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 much of an influence it really is in terms of ultimate performance on the part of the sales reps because you know the data is not clear no and you know it's, yeah that's something that we actually actually i think the data is clear i think the data is clear that it that it doesn't it isn't that important oh okay yeah exactly i mean when we look at that trends in in the sales industry and you know sales performance across you know multiple sectors of b2b spaces and so on is yeah it's not to my mind it's it seems clear that the the way we structure compensation isn't having the impact that we want and while it certainly is beneficial for those those you know top five percent for everybody else though is it really that motivating factor is it really and it's like yeah i mean it's time to rethink how we do this whole thing but we'll save that conversation for the next time I can't wait. All right. I'm always thinking about it. Yeah, I'm sure you are. So, Bridget, as always, for our 70, as, 74th time together. I know. We should do something special on episode number 75. Oh, okay. We'll have to think about episode that. Episode number 75. I think that's kind of a hallmark thing. Yeah, well, we'll have to have, uh, maybe we'll celebrate one of these times we'll actually do our interviews oh. when we're not separated by thousands of miles. We've done it, that once. We've done that once. Let's do it again. We'll we'll turn it into a party. Come to Boston. Come to Boston. <laughs> Come to Boston. I can do it in Boston. Come to Tel Aviv. Come to Tel Aviv or Boston. Perfect. Send me a plane ticket and I'll be there. Yeah, you know you know about our plane tickets though. You're not going to like it. <laughs> but I could do it once. I mean, yeah, All right. for you that one time. All right. That's good. I like that. All right. As always, great As to talk always, with you. As always, great to talk to you also. Have a great, uh, great rest of the week. You too as well. And friends, thank you again for joining us. 
If you have a second, please go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, because as you subscribe to this podcast, one of the episodes you get every Friday is Frontline Fridays with Bridget Gleason. And uh, really appreciate also, leave a review. Let us know what we're doing well and what we could do better. So, Bridget, thanks again. As always, great to talk to you. And friends, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.